Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Please be seated. So good to see you guys, worship team. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Everyone else for all that is serving, um, wow, we couldn't do that without you. And if you're here for the first time, second time, or third time, could be the fourth time because we had a launch service on the 19th of November, um, we welcome you. So we welcome everyone. So good. Uh, we'd love to have the opportunity to catch up with you a little bit and just, you know, get to know who you are after the service. So Lynn and I are available to do that. So please don't run out the door. Just Hang around and let us have, uh, uh, you know, the privilege to be able to get to know you guys as well as our team members. And um, just want to uh, just give a little more detail that we have um, Pastor Josh and Pastor Kelly here serving with us now from our city location. And, yeah, they're serving with us. And I have um, the distinct privilege to actually have Josh serving as my assistant now in uh, global development. He was Pastor Corey's personal assistant. So how good is that? And uh, yeah, so yeah. So, and he's gonna be helping us here with operational things otherwise in this location as well. Um, and then everything we're doing. So, so amazing. This is the time of year for us, obviously when we commemorate the uh, incarnation of Jesus is coming into the world. And I wanna just really speak about that today. And uh, over, you know, leading up to Christmas, <clears throat> not that we forget about it afterwards, we shouldn't. But the truth is, when we understand that Jesus came, he came to die on the cross, right? We know that. He, he died, he rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father forevermore. But we also have to remember that he came to bring a kingdom. And one of his final words to his disciples in Luke chapter 22 is, you know, he went, just before he went to the cross, he says, I confer upon you a kingdom. Just as the Father conferred upon me a kingdom, I confer upon you a kingdom. And honestly, throughout the years, um, millennials, honestly, we've somehow gotten away from that message, that reality or that revelation that Jesus came preaching the kingdom. The Jews understood that in his day. His disciples even understood that. Remember in Acts chapter 1, he was talking to them and they said, so tell us at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom? And his thing was like, hey, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, yada, yada, but uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, a.k.a. Australia. We'll throw New Zealand in there as well. So uh, literally, you know, Ezekiel 5 verse 5 says that Jerusalem was the center of the nations. And if you look at a map, it literally is. It's like the navel and of the epicenter, so to speak. Uh, and here we are now as far away from Jerusalem pretty much as you can get. And um, yeah, and we're, the gospel's here. Wow, isn't that amazing? The kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. Wow, it's so, so, so mind-blowing when we think about that. So we want to jump into uh, a message today. 
probably um, not going to get through this uh, all today, but I want to just open it up, and we're going to look at Matthew 24. This is a passage which is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples approach him, and they, they ask him a question um, in response to something he said, which would have been shocking, okay? I mean, can you imagine, like, here Jesus leaves the temple, and he's going away, and his disciples come to him, and they point out the buildings of the temple, Okay, and then he answers them and says, you see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now just think about, you know, kind of the, this, really what's happening here. They're, they're just saying, wow, look at the buildings. Look at how magnificent they are. And then Jesus like switches into super intense mode. I mean, he's like, yeah, you think that's anything? He said, those buildings are going to be knocked down. They're going to be destroyed. There won't even be one stone left upon another. And the disciples are like, whoa. I mean, it's like, chill, Jesus. We're just commenting about the buildings. And what ends up happening is the Lord begins to speak to them about an event that would take place. And that is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem when... Uh, Israel was invaded by the Romans, which happened in the year AD 70. And he, he speaks about that particular event, but there is a connection between that event and his physical return. So they identify that, they know that. And so what ends up happening is they, they end up speaking to him and, and they ask the question, and, and they, he, they basically say to him, okay, so when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Think about that. So these are like several questions, really. When will this happen, these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And the grammatical construction in the Greek, sorry, I'm not getting too geeky here, actually says that latter part, what would be the sign of your coming, the end of the age, it's really one question, okay? It's not like, what would be the sign of your coming, comma, and the end of the age. No, it's what would be the sign of your coming, no comma, and the end of the age, okay? So the question is clear. They knew Jesus was going to come again. They anticipated his return, but they were also inquiring about this specific thing he said that would happen with the temple being destroyed. So Jesus continues, and he says a heap of things here. So see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. They'll lead many astray. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place. But notice this in verse 6, the latter part. But the end is not yet. All right, just look at your neighbor and say, the end is not yet. All right, so what's happening in Jerusalem right now, in Israel right now, the end is not yet, guys, okay? Look, we've been around, some of us, a little while, and we've heard, like, I remember in 1988, I was a very young pastor at that time. Lynn was even younger by one month. Uh, so you now you know. Now, I'm not going to tell you how old we are, but... Uh, 
So if you pay me, I might. It depends. You'll have to bribe me. But seriously, <laughs> what ends up happening is I remember in 1988, there was this booklet that was circulating. It was called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. Okay? I mean, 88, just go figure, right? It just happened to be 88, not 84 or whatever. So, and guess what? I don't think any of those 88 reasons um, were, were forceful enough. To, for the rapture to occur, unless you know something I don't know. I mean, if there's some people that disappeared, hey, I didn't make it. Either did you. So we're all in this together. Uh, we've been left behind. So uh, <laughs> the truth is, guys, the, the reality is that Jesus says there's going to be a time when he returns physically. Yes. Come on now. Yes. He's coming back physically, literally, Every eye will behold him. Yeah, there is a catching of the saints in the air. I'm not talking about end times prophecy today. That's not my topic. But he is coming back. And yet he said that even when all these things occur, they are not the precursor to his return. If you continue reading the text, he actually says this. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pangs. Okay, they're the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many will, false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Then he says in verse 12, and because lawlessness or iniquity will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who dares, endures to the end will be saved. So we've got the end is not yet, verse 6. Then verse 8, these things are the beginning of birth pangs. All right. So he's at this point not clearly responded to their question. And it's not because he's being evasive. He's not like, you know what, I know at another time he said, no man knows the day nor the hour, right, except my Father which is in heaven. Okay, so we're not talking about that. We're not talking about a date on a calendar. But we're talking about what needs to happen before Jesus returns. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age, the end of the eon? So he specifically answers them in verse 14. Many believers have failed to see this in the Bible. And as a result, what has happened, guys, is we've shifted to this mindset of evacuation rather than occupation. Evacuation is get me out of here. I'm ready to go home. And it's true uh, that many of us, we, we need to be ready, right? You know, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We need to be ready at all times. But ultimately, it has produced a passive form of Christianity. And, and it's not as bad as it used to be. Like back in the 80s, that was like everybody was like just waiting, you know. And, and not doing anything really to impact culture or to see the world changed. And very, very few people. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a massive move of God's spirit that happened even in the late 60s, early 70s, and to a degree in the 80s as well. But... We were of the mindset that, hey, Jesus is coming, and we just need to be ready. Are you ready? 
Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I think T.D. Jake said that. Um, we, we have to be ready, but ultimately, there's something that we're called to do. And verse 14 is so clear. Look what Jesus says. Everybody ready? Yes. Say with me, and this gospel of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then look at the the latter part. And then the end will come. Wow. Let's say that again. And then the end will come. One of the things that we have um, really missed out on in, in modern day Christianity, in in some respects, not everywhere, I'm not painting everyone with the the same brush, is this whole priority of advancing God's kingdom and seeing the gospel preached to all nations. Now, in Numa, we are are doing our best to to change that narrative. You know, our, our vision is all about planting 200 churches that carry the spirit of revival to disciple cities and nations. Next year, we've tentatively planned four new churches. Um, Obviously, this is a new work. And we're not here just to gather Christians again, which is nice. We realize there are people that God calls to be part of what's happening here. That's his will. That's his direction. We need to be obedient to that. But ultimately, we want to reach people that don't know Jesus. We want to see people come into the kingdom. We want to see lives transformed. And we have to be a people that prioritize the advancement of God's kingdom. That is so important. So we have four churches uh, tentatively planned to be planted next year. One in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. One in Singapore. One in southern Spain. And one in the United States in Orlando, Florida. And we will continue to plant churches around the world that carry that spirit of revival and that are focused on discipling cities and nations in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, giving Jesus his rightful place as Lord over the church, and seeing church become a a covenant family. And and those are some of our our values, our kingdom culture values, which you'll learn more about. Uh, and, And they're just scriptural things. These are all just scriptural things. But we have to keep in mind that Jesus was very clear. This gospel of the kingdom... He said it it will be preached, it must be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. So we've got two words here, world, which means the globe, planet Earth. Then we've got this other word, which is nations. Nations is ethnos in the Greek language. We get ethnic from it, ethnicity. And when you study... um, you know, the ethnic groups of the world. One of the resources or references would be Joshua Project. JoshuaProject.net is a website. Joshua Project has identified over 17,000 unique ethnic groups in the world. Isn't that crazy? The United Nations says there's 195 countries. They don't include Taiwan as well as several others. But they've said there's 195 countries, but there's over 17,000 ethnic groups planted throughout all of these different countries in the world. Indonesia has hundreds of ethnic groups. Guess what? There's over 
200 different ethnic groups in Sydney and close to that here in Melbourne. Over 200. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And so it's the gospel of the kingdom that will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all the nations. To all the nations. Statistically, of those 17,000 plus ethnic groups, right now currently about 6,900 are considered unreached. That's over 3 b b billion people. There's 8.1 billion people in the world right now. So over 3 are still unreached people groups. What that means is less than 2% of the population is Christian in that country. And we would think of places like um, Thailand, for example, other countries uh, in the world, mostly in what's called the 1040 window, if, you, if you're into that, if you want to research that. But there's even places like where we come from in Canada, um, in Toronto, it's pretty close to that. But in Quebec, the French-speaking part of Canada, Quebec, it's actually 0.5% Christian. 0.5%. There's less Christians in Quebec, Canada, than there is in Thailand. Isn't that crazy? That's, that's, that's absolutely mind-blowing. And Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then the end will come. There's a lot of people still need to hear the gospel of the kingdom. It will be proclaimed. It didn't say... Everyone has to believe or a certain amount. No, our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. People's responsibility is to reject it or to receive it. Every individual has that choice. And how many know that probably, I'd, I'd love to take a poll right now. How many of you who know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the first time you heard the gospel, you were all in? Just raise your hand. Okay. One. Wow. Maybe more. That's awesome. Congratulations, Pete. But, yeah, I mean, you're extraordinary. You know, to whom much is given, much more is required. You know that, right? So, so you're preaching next week. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, well, seriously, uh, guys, I mean, for all of us, the, it was a journey, wasn't it? We heard the gospel. We were exposed. And, and then something took place called the conviction of the Holy Spirit where he just began to speak to us, deal with our hearts, tell us how beautiful Jesus is, how not so beautiful sin is, and bring us to that place of just surrender. And then hopefully we, we move to a place where we know him more and more and we become more like him. And our lives are reflecting his glory and his goodness in every way. So... I want to, to be very clear that the church has a massive responsibility. And we were, we were preaching somewhere not too long ago. And basically, I was talking about unreached nations. They had two morning services. And I was preaching in the first service. And I started talking about unreached nations, preaching the gospel. And I shared some stories of some places where I've had the privilege to preach the gospel with very few believers. And after the first service, the pastor, I could tell he wasn't happy. And I was like, what did I do? You know, I mean, and, and, and so he, he actually called me into his office and sat me down and said, you totally were like 
over the people's heads. They didn't get that. And I said, so what was wrong with what I said? He said, well, hey, the problem with the church, now he's ascribing to the church another problem, not that we don't have enough, but thank God we have more solutions and problems in Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, but the truth is, he said, the problem with the church is we're so focused on other nations that we're not doing anything locally to reach people. And I said, well, the data contradicts that. The stats say, no, that's not the case. While it's true that we have unreached people in our communities, and the northern suburbs, we have a lot of unreached peoples from other nations in particular. But even Gen Z, Gen Z is actually considered the first unreached generation in Western nations. So we have a lot of responsibility, a lot of challenges. But ultimately, what we have to recognize is that does not negate... Um, our responsibility to reach other nations, other cultures, other ethnic groups, whether they're here or, or in another nation. We have a massive responsibility according to Jesus. See, some believers think that the purpose for the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit is so that we can have great revival meetings. And revival is important, and we want to experience revival and encounter God but there's a purpose for us being revived. Can you imagine if you, like, just think about this. Years ago, the great um, preacher, uh, Charles Grandison Finney, who was, you know, known for the Second Great Awakening in America, he made this statement in, in one of his writings. He said this. He said, a revival presupposes a declension. What that means in modern language in the colloquial is simply this. If something needs revived, what does that say? <laughs> I mean, if you're walking, God forbid, I'm not prophesying this, but you're walking down here, you're leaving, and you collapse, what are we going to do? We're going to go, oh, they just need revived. Leave them alone. They're good. They just need resuscitated. I mean, they're on a journey, right? Just leave them. And now they're bouncing all over. We don't know what's going on with <laughs> And, and we look at people and we're like, no, something's wrong. We must intervene. And we've got to do something to save them because that is not acceptable. That's, we, we can't do that. Or, or think about a child at a very young age who won't eat. We're like, no, they don't have an appetite. That's all right. They haven't eaten in, in three weeks. Oh, that's okay. That's normal, kids. No. We would intervene. We would do whatever is possible. We would not accept this state of them not having an appetite to be normal. But yet, when we look at many Christians and many believers that have no spiritual hunger, wow, that's okay. No, it's not. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you're breathing... You should be hungry. And if you're not hungry for God, maybe you really need to come to a place where you surrender your life to Jesus and get to know him. I'm not saying this in a, in a condemning way, but there are many people that attend churches but have never come into the kingdom of God. They've never had a personal relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says until you encounter him, until he 
brings you into his kingdom, then you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But when you come to him, he makes us alive in Christ. He brings us back. We're revived. We're resuscitated. So a revival presupposes a declension. If we say we need to be revived, I need a personal revival, that means things aren't good in our life. We need renewal. We need refreshing. We need something to change in our life. And if the church is not in revival, it's like that church in Revelation 3. Uh, Jesus said, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. That's what he said. I mean, you have amazing worship, but no presence. You, you have passion, but no presence. You work hard, the church in Ephesus. You do all these things, but you've fallen from your first love. And this can happen so easily in our lives. But I want you to recognize that, that revival is really normal Christianity. Like, if you constantly need revived, like, if you are in a life support system, I mean, right? That's not a good thing. But when you are alive and you're healthy, you have a responsibility. Can you imagine, like, you, someone who, who passes out, they're resuscitated, and then they're like, wow, thank you for, for saving me. Um, that's great. And then they go and they just sit in a room in their house for the rest of their life and they do nothing. I'm glad I'm alive. Yeah, alive for what? Exactly. Alive for what, right? So there's a purpose. There's a purpose. And Jesus was clear that our calling is to be part of his kingdom, to learn how to live in his kingdom, experience all the benefits of his kingdom, and to advance it to the nations, to advance it to other people, to advance it to your co-workers, to advance it to your family, to advance it to other cities and other nations as well. That's the calling here. And he specifically says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. Now, let me, let me just say something for a moment. We have um, clearly in different places in the world what we would say is a false gospel, right? Paul talked about that in Galatians, and he mentioned that in, in 1 Corinthians. It's a gospel that basically says, you know, you, you need to join our group. You need to do this, 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 and this. And if you do it enough times, then you might make it into heaven. That type of gospel. It's works generated. It's not grace. It's not predicated on what Jesus did, but it's performance-oriented and totally has to do with how we live, how we behave, whether we have the right doctrine or not, these type of things. But that's not the gospel that Jesus preached, right? Jesus said, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. But then he spoke about that other place. You see, the truth is we're called to experience him in his life. And when we realize that the kingdom is part of that. So another expression or manifestation of a gospel, which I won't call it, I'll be nice, a false gospel. The cults, the occult, yep, false gospel. 
But we're talking now about many Christians and many churches in the mainstream of evangelicalism that we wouldn't necessarily say that's a false gospel, but we would say it's an incomplete gospel. They preach 80% of the word, and the rest, they say, that didn't happen today. You know, once we got the Bible, we don't need that anymore. And exegetically, you cannot prove that. I'll go toe-to-toe with any cessationist and say, show me the scriptures that say the gifts aren't for today. Trust me, I will totally destroy you using the same word of God. I'm a nice guy. Super intense for a moment, but really nice. Okay? The gifts are for today. All of them. All of the gifts are for today. Like, Holy Spirit didn't say, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop manifesting myself. They're called the manifestations of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. So it's when he manifests, they happen. Stuff happens when he shows up. Hello? (laughs) Stuff happens, right? Blind people see. Broken hearts are mended. People are delivered and set free. And mindsets change. Marriages are restored. When he shows up, Things happen. It's not going to come through, you know, 10,000 sessions through psychotherapy per se. Nothing wrong with getting counseling that's biblical and oriented. But I'm saying there's something that happens supernaturally in your spirit realm that can only occur when you have an encounter with the living God. So it's the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of religion. The gospel of the kingdom. You see, the kingdom, think about the, the word kingdom in English. King and domain or king and dominion. So a kingdom has three elements to it. One, we have, there's a king. Two, there's a domain, territory, a country, a nation, whatever. Then lastly, there's domain. Domain means his rule, his reign, that happens within the dominion, happens within the domain. So that is something that we understand. So Jesus is the king. His kingdom is a kingdom that is invisible, he said, but yet it can be proclaimed in advance to the nations, Matthew 10, verse 7, as you go preach and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's a kingdom And in that kingdom, we experience all of his benefits and his goodness. And we don't enter into that kingdom without being born again. Right? John 3, he said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Can't see it. It's not just something when you die, you enter it. No, no, no. The kingdom is now. The reality of scripture, the overwhelming testimony is, yes, there's a physical, literal kingdom that will come to earth when Jesus returns, the new Jerusalem, read the last two chapters of Revelation, but there is a kingdom now, right? Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God or the finger of God, then surely the kingdom has come among you, the kingdom's in your midst. So when Jesus was casting out demons, he was saying the kingdom's here, the kingdom's here. So powerful. So 
It's the gospel of the kingdom that must be preached. The gospel of the king, his domain, and his dominion. That must be preached. And there's several things that we could say about the gospel of the kingdom, and and we'll get to that uh, in, in the ensuing weeks here. But the reality is Jesus proclaimed the kingdom. Now, the kingdom, when he started preaching, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That term, at hand, it's an idiomatic Hebraic expression, which means it's there. Okay, remember when Jesus said, the one who betrays me is at hand? And he was speaking about Judas. It's the exact same Greek word, and he was sitting at the table with Jesus. So when he said... The kingdom is at hand. Uh, He's saying the kingdom's here. It's present now. Make no mistake about it. Wow. So powerful and such a reality that we can walk in the revelation of his kingdom. So we'll look at three expressions or elements of his kingdom. But I want to just touch on the first one today for the next few moments. The gospel of the kingdom is a declaration of victory. The gospel of the kingdom is a declaration of victory. By the way, before Jesus preached the kingdom, John the Baptist was preaching it. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He was talking about the sheep and the goats. He actually said this. When the Son of Man returns in his glory, he will gather the nations before him, and he will separate the nations. Some will go to the right. Some will go to the left. Those that that honored him, believed in him, would be at his right hand. And what he said is this. I will say to them, enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he's talking about the physical kingdom. Matthew 13 says when he returns, the kingdom will, will, he'll gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Isn't that something? Gather out of his kingdom when he returns, meaning his kingdom's already there. Am I a little too deep or are we good? Okay. So so the kingdom is is my message, my life. God has really opened my eyes to see a lot of things about the kingdom, and it's transformed my life and my ministry. But the truth is, guys, we come to a place where we recognize that the kingdom was prepared for every one of God's people, God's children. But we don't enter it without being born again. Right? Colossians chapter 1 talks about that as well. I think it's verse 12. That God translated us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Wow. He took you and me out of darkness and put us into the kingdom of his dear son. Wow. You're in the kingdom. If you're born again, you're in the kingdom. And you may not be accessing all of the benefits of the kingdom. That's why Paul says, learn to walk worthy of the kingdom that you've been called into. But there's a place for us in the sense that positionally we're in the kingdom. So the first thing we understand is that the gospel of the kingdom is a proclamation of victory. Of victory. Very interestingly, the Greek word for gospel... Euangelion means good announcement. And an evangelist 
which uh, in, in English does not at all sound like gospel. An evangelist is literally someone who's a euangelistos, which means he's someone who proclaims this good news. That's what an evangelist does. And the term literally was used to announce a significant report such as the king's army being victorious in battle over their enemies, thus implying that the king is still on the throne, the king is still reigning and ruling, he's not been deposed, and his kingdom has triumphed over the enemy's kingdom. So when Jesus said, proclaim the good news, he was literally referring to that in the sense that we are to proclaim, as that royal announcer would, that the kingdom of heaven is triumphant, that the king is victorious, and that all other kingdoms have been defeated. The kingdom of Satan has been defeated. And when the Romans defeated their enemies, it was quite common for what they would call a victory parade to occur. In fact, before a, gen a general, so let's say, you know, Caesar would engage or a higher-up leader would engage and say, hey, we want to go to battle against this particular nation. You know, they're, they're threatening us, uh, our, our economic stability, our livelihood. We're going to send the troops in and invade this nation. And the generals would negotiate. They would say, okay, you want me to lead? All right. If we win and if my man and I, we are victorious in this battle, Here's what I want in return. And he would negotiate actually what that victory parade would look like. We'll march out front. I'll be seated. You know, I'll have all this garland. I'll have all this stuff on me. And, and you know, it'll be clear that I am the triumphant general that has led. And we'll do all these things to celebrate. Plus, you're going to give me this. You're going to give me that and all of these different things. So they would literally negotiate the terms of the victory parade and, and the, the compensation that he would receive. But during that parade, one of the things that they would do is that the conquering general who, general who had stripped the rulers of their powers would literally march them through the streets, sometimes just stripped of their armor but other times completely stripped. And so this king, these other generals and leaders and political leaders would be marched throughout the streets in front of the Romans, literally uh, mocked and, and, and literally disarmed, mocking at them. People would throw, kids would throw stones at them. They would, they would do all sorts of things just to mock them. And Jesus refers to this in, Paul does in response to Jesus in Colossians 2.15 where he says this, in this same way, he, Jesus, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He put them to an open shame. Very interesting. Christ is the conquering general who's stripped the rulers of darkness of their powers and displayed them openly as the spoils of battle before the entire universe. So the Message Bible puts it this way. 
The message says he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Disarmed means to be stripped naked. Guys, do you understand? This is a picture of the victory that is ours because of Jesus and what he did at the cross, how he won over all rulers and authorities, and he triumphed over them by his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's quite a show, and it reminds us of the victory that he's conferred upon us. Now listen, how does this work? It works this way. Whenever you face a challenge or a situation or anything that tries to take from you what is rightfully yours by virtue of what Jesus did, you have to stand up and remind the enemy that he's already defeated. He's already been defeated. Jesus stripped him of his power. He has no legal access. Now stand up and recognize it and begin to contend and fight for what is rightfully yours. Don't just sit back and say, oh, yeah. I mean, we have this passive mindset. No, when we know it's the enemy, when we are certain that it's the enemy, it's an act of the enemy, it's his working, his doings, then we rise up and we stand on the truth that Jesus destroyed his power. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And there's a massive difference. We're not fighting for victory. He won the victory. He did it. It's not by works. It's not by anything we can do. But we're just simply stepping into our rightful place, our authority, and reminding the enemy that he's already been defeated. Yeah. Now, for those of you, some of you may have heard this story. Um, I'd like to share it. Last year, in August, at Newmarter City location, we had a conference, a revival conference, and I was privileged to be one of the speakers, and Lynn and I were here. Ben Fitzgerald was one of the other speakers, and God blew the place up. And from that point to now, and even last Sunday night, the presence and the power of God has gone to another level even. But let me tell you something. It wasn't easy for us to get here. We had prophetic words. We, I mean, we're in Brazil preaching the gospel, and at the end of the service, there was a lot of people there. There's a young prophet who speaks to me through a translator, and he says this. He says, uh, Pastor Glenn, I keep hearing many sons and daughters in Australia. God has a plan for you to be in Australia. We had not shared with anyone that we were even praying about going back to Australia. And we just felt like God said, I have unfinished business for you to attend to in Australia. But we hadn't shared that with anyone, maybe a couple of people very close to us. He called that out. Now, what do we do with the prophetic word? According to what the scripture tells us is we contend for the fulfillment of that prophetic word in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We have to contend for that. We have to say, yep, that's God's word. I proclaim it. I believe it. I pray into it. And sometimes we even have to take a step of faith. We have to begin to get some motion. 
and begin to leap out in faith and do certain things. So here we are. Then I get another prophetic word from a pastor in Belgium. Same thing, basically. And then we're, we're at about Australia. Then out of the blue, we get two invitations to come to Australia and preach. One of them was from Pastor Corey Turner. And Pastor Corey asked us to come. And so we apply about two years, two years, two months before, maybe if it was two years, we would have, anyway, you'll understand the story. But Sorry. Um, so what happens is we apply for a visa. All right. Now, we've lived in Australia before. Uh, we've had visas to come here before. Because we're from Canada, the ETA, we get a visa typically in a few moments. So we apply for this visa, and what ends up happening is a week goes by, two weeks, three weeks, a month. We're getting really close now, and we still don't have a visa. Then, boom, Lynn gets her visa. I'm like, okay, that's it. That's great. Good news. I'll get mine the next day or two. No. <laughs> Didn't happen. We start to really pray into it, and the Lord speaks to us clearly. He spoke to us personally, and he spoke to us through people from various nations, and he said this. He said, go to the airport, and you'll get your visa when you're in the airport. Yeah, you guys remember that? So we literally had already booked our flights. So it's the 22nd of August, and now I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, okay, today's the day. And I'm like, all right, Lord, how about the email comes through this morning, Dallas, Texas time, and that's where we were living. And, you know, the rest of the day is kind of like a chill-out day. You know, that, that stress threshold is. And, and Holy Spirit says to me, didn't I tell you you have to go to the airport? And when you're in the airport, you'll get the visa. So I'm like, yeah, you did say that. Gosh. So annoying. I mean, you know, like, God, can't you? Yeah, and so, yeah, Pastor Corey rings me like two days before, and he says, hey, mate, we probably need to consider a new speaker. Uh, like, it's two days before the conference, and what are you sensing the Lord saying? And I said to him, I believe we're going to get the visa. And he said this. He said, I do too. So, we walk into the airport three hours before our flight. Our son drives us to the Dallas airport, drops us off, and he says, do you want me to go over to the, what they call the cell phone lot, which is a car park where, you know, they call it. I'll just wait there and so I don't have to drive all the way back home and then come back and get you. I said, no, go home. We're going to get the visa. We're going to get it. He's like, wow. So we're, we walk in. And Holy Spirit, as soon as the sliding doors open, it's like, I step into, like, you know, it's like time stood still. It was, it was so spiritual. And then I hear, go speak to the Qantas agent. And honestly, I had this impression, go speak to the Qantas person. So I told her what was happening with our visa. And she said, my visa, yeah. She said, well, let me see what I can do. So she rings corporate office, talks to them, and basically she says, oh, there's nothing we can do. And so we're like, okay, we've got to get there. We're believing. So then she looks at me and she says, how did you apply for this visa? I said, I went to the Home Affairs website and I applied. 
And she said, why didn't you use the app, the mobile app? And I'm like, what difference does it make if you use a website or a mobile app? She said, it makes a big difference. Apply for your visa right now using the mobile app, and you'll get it within 20 minutes. I went, what? And like, I rang Home Affairs, I guess, I reckon more than 10 times. Like, they were so annoyed with me. I sent them emails. I wrote letters. I specifically said, is there another way I can apply for a visa? And they said, no, sir, you've just got to be patient. I'm like, you, what do you know about patient? You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you know about patient? And, and so she says, do that. So she helps me literally walk through the process of applying for a visa, and I submit it. Less than five minutes later, ding, I look at my email, and there is the visa. There is the visa. Now, if we had not gone to the airport, we would not have had that conversation with that woman. So we go through security. We're sitting at the gate. I mean, we're telling people all over the world who've been praying for us, like, what happened? And then about an hour-ish before our flight's departure time, I get another notification in my email, and it's the original visa approved. So I got double for my trouble. Two visas. And I like, when I walked up, I was like, which visa should I use? You know, I mean, like, I, I got the power here. I got two visas. How many visas do you have? And... And, and that was the reality, guys. But I, the point I'm trying to make is we had to contend. We had to contend. Not, we said the devil is defeated. And I mean, at one point, I started to think carnally, okay? I was just like, well, maybe it's just not God's will. You know how many people told me that? It's just not God's will. I said, who doesn't want us to go and preach at such an amazing place? And with such an amazing opportunity, really, just be logical for a moment. Who would want to stop that from happening? I think it would be the devil. And so I realized this was spiritual warfare and the enemy was trying to stop us. And when we walked in that revelation, and, and you know, the Lord even said this to me. He said, son, what good will come out of this if you don't show up? If you're not, if you don't get your visa and you don't go there, what good will come out of this? And then he began to kind of give me like these bullet point things. He said, people will say, Pastor Corey, you didn't hear from God. Yeah? Let's keep it real. Yeah? Oh, yeah, Glenn. You've told us you had all these prophetic words. Yeah, right. All of these things. So I'm like, no, no way. We are going and I'm being obedient and I don't care what happens. I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to do what God says. And it worked. Because we contended from the place that we recognized that the enemy had been defeated already. And he was just trying to hinder us. He was making a lot of noise. But ultimately, he'd already been defeated. And we just needed to remind him of that and stand on that victory. And God did an amazing thing at that conference and also personally for Lynn and I, you know, Pastor Corey's like prophesying over us. He prophesies over anything that moves. And he prophesied, you know, this isn't more, this isn't just about you guys coming here to speak at a conference. 
This is about a partnership in the kingdom. And he looks at me and goes, I think you know that. And I said, yeah, I believe that. And, and then from there, God opened the door for us to come back and to step into what he had promised us is that it was time to come back. Now, the only good thing, I shouldn't say that, one of the good things about being in America, sorry, at that time was we weren't here for COVID. I'm sorry. I know it was tough, but it, it was like we were in Dallas, and it was like, whoa. And when we saw what you guys were going through, but in all honesty, that's the only positive thing I could see that came out of it because it was a real strange season. Have you ever gone through that? Come on, worship team. Can you just, guys, stand with me right now? You might be going through a season right now where you feel stuck, where you're just not fully where you need to be, where you believe God has told you you should be. You may feel stuck. You may feel like, what's going on in my life? I want to remind you that the enemy is defeated. I want to remind you that Jesus put, literally stripped him of his authority and his power so that we can walk in the victory. But we have to embrace that. We have to begin to believe that. So the next time the enemy shows up to try to hinder you, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, Satan has hindered me. Sometimes Satan tries to hinder. When that happens, you just got to stand on the revelation that his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is greater and more powerful. And Jesus has destroyed the works of the enemy. You have the victory. It's yours. Now just receive it by faith. You have the open door. It's yours. Just receive it and walk into it by faith. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.4 You have been blessed with all things, all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1.3. Both those references, 2 Peter 1.3 and Ephesians 1.3, say that we have received it all now and it has been given to us. We're not waiting for it. It has been given. By virtue of what Jesus did, it's available. Access it. Appropriate it. It's yours. Just begin to praise him. I had a, a challenge this morning where I could just see the enemy so angry at us. And he tried to do some crazy things. Even this morning, it's still not resolved yet. But immediately, I'm like, I'm not going to allow this to take my joy. You're done, Satan. You're, you're defeated. You're not, you're not getting the upper hand in this situation. I, I am more than a conqueror the word says not just a conqueror more than a conqueror through him who loved me that's who you are that's who you are would you just raise your hands just take a moment and maybe pray in the spirit or just begin to pray and ask Jesus Jesus move me from religion to kingdom move me from a religious mindset an orphan mindedness Lord into the realm of being a son, a son, a royal son, a royal daughter in your kingdom. 
just begin to praise him and thank him for the victory right now. Even if you don't see it yet, if it hasn't materialized, it's yours. It's yours according to his will and what he did at the cross. Come on, just begin to praise him. Come on, let's lift our voice. Let's lift our voice. Come on, we're going to worship. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.